Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. This morning, uh, I kind of am in this place in my life, like this last week, where I'm like, I need to do something about my health, right? <laughs> um, how many of you guys are there? Like, oh, summer's coming up, and I'm supposed to go to the beach, and I can't fit into anything. <laughs> I can't fit into my fat clothes anymore, like that, like that kind of thing. Um, and uh, there's uh, one of the most popular gyms out there is Planet, Planet Fitness, right? And what's their slogan? Just curious if you know their slogan. The judgment-free zone, right? Um, that's ridiculous. Well, on a lot of levels, because they're not really a judgment-free zone. They have a lot of rules there. I don't know if you've ever been to Planet, uh, Planet Fitness. It's called the judgment-free zone, and they have these commercials, you know, with these big, like, meathead guys who make everybody feel sad, and they, they kick them out, right? They kick out the, fat, the, the meatheads. They kick them all. All the muscular people who have actually committed to doing what they want to do with their physical health Get rid of them. Let's get rid of them. You are welcome to come here and eat pizza with us on Mondays. Um, literally, they give out pizza. They have rules there. You're not allowed to grunt. Any grunting is not allowed. Um, I grunt when I exercise sometimes, not because I'm muscular or arrogant, but because I have a hard time breathing when I'm doing a crunch. So right there, I feel judged. Um, there's certain types of shirts you're not allowed to wear. You're not allowed to come in with a jug of water. Like, you have to have a bottle, like a nice bottle. No gallon jugs of water. It's ridiculous. Get it out of here. It's a jug. We're not allowed. Jugs make people feel embarrassed. Or, I, don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what the logic is behind that. No jugs. You can't have bags on the floor. So if you're carrying a little bag around, get that bag out of here. They shame you. They literally have, by the weights, what's called a lunk alarm. So if you make noise or drop a weight, which I would do, one, because I'm weak, and two, because I can't breathe, they set off an alarm called the lunk alarm. That doesn't sound like a judgment-free zone to me, right? I don't know what their definition of judgment is, but that doesn't sound fun. This morning, I want to talk about what does it mean to be judged? What is, what is, a, what is a healthy understanding of judgment? Um, and this morning, I want you to know that in Christ, we're going through our identity series, you are literally a judgment-free zone. You are a judgment-free zone. Your life is a judgment-free zone. You are to be a judgment-free zone. That's who you are. That's your identity in Christ. I want to explain a few things, though. Let's go to John chapter 8. This is a great passage. Many of you probably know the story. But this is such a powerful passage of Scripture, and I want to read it a little bit before we get into the rest of our message of the day. John chapter 8, starting in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you can keep the one in the pew in front of you. Uh, that's our gift to you. It will also be on the screen if you don't feel like looking for John chapter 8. Um, John chapter 8, verse 1. Then they each went... They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placed her, placing her in the midst, 
they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. It's a powerful passage, isn't it? This woman caught in this act which legally deserved death. All precedent, all legal accounts said she is to die by a bunch of us throwing stones at her until she bleeds out and dies. Right here in front of, where are they at? Where are they at? In front of the temple. So in front of the house of God, the house of worship, the house to make peace and and sacrificial offerings to the Lord, to have a right standing with Him, outside of that, there's a crowd that follows Jesus, and all the religious people come up and say, hey, bring her out here, throw her on the ground. She was caught in adultery. The law says we can stone her and kill her. Let's do it, right? What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus pulls a classic Jesus, like... Yeah, I don't have words for this at the moment. Let me just draw in the ground. I don't know what he wrote in the ground. I personally have an opinion that he was writing out some sins of their own. That's my personal opinion. I could be way off. But he's writing something on the ground. And they ask him again. And he stands up and he says, He who is without sin cast the first stone. I love that it says the older ones first started walking away. They're like... Yeah, that's a lot of sins written on the ground. I have a lot of sins I can think of. See you guys later. And then the younger ones are like ready to throw some stones, impress the older ones. And they're like, oh yeah, maybe this is me too. Maybe I should walk away. That's just kind of the way my mind works. But Jesus looks at her and says, where do you all go? And she says, I don't know. He says, who's condemning you? She says, I don't know. No one. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go sin no more. Neither do I pronounce my judgment on you that you deserve death. Neither do I look at your adultery, look at your sins and say, this is what you deserve. I don't do that. Now let me ask you a question. Has she asked for forgiveness? Has she said the sinner's prayer yet? What what you find is a woman who in her sin knows she has no other alternative. That she is already dead in front of him. Her life is done. That her only help has just come from this man. You have a woman who realizes, I can't fix this on my own. I've got no legal rights. i got no testimony that I can give. I was caught in the act. I'm dead. That's who she is. She knows I'm dead. Jesus says, yeah, you know you're dead. I don't condemn you now. Neither do I. Neither do I. Go sin no more. Live this life without sin now. Go live in this life. I want to say that when you know that you're dead to rights, that you have nothing outside of Christ, when Christ swoops in, picks you back up and says, I don't condemn you, go sin anymore. I want to tell you this is not my own message right now. I'm going to let Mike have this next week. You don't have to live a life of sin. If Jesus says go sin no more, he's not giving you false hope. You can go and sin no more. I believe that. Some of you guys think I'm a lunatic right now. Jesus isn't some kind of weird guy giving out false hope. He gives reality in Christ, right? That's what he does. 
I'm, I'm excited about that. That's not my message. But Jesus looks at this woman. She's not done anything to earn his approval at all. And he says, I don't condemn you. I don't judge you to death. There's no judgment in my heart toward you. Just go and live a life without sin. Respond to this moment of grace. He says, who condemns you? This word condemn, I looked it up in the Greek. It's katakarino. Katakarino, okay? That word is used 17 times in the New Testament. All 17 times, it means the exact same thing, condemn. Sometimes you look up a Greek word and like four times it'll mean this. Three times it's translated that way. In the context, it's kind of loosely in our English, this thing in the English language. This word is the same word every time. It's condemn. Condemn, 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 condemn. Every time you find this word, it's condemn. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. There's no mistranslation of this. There's no other version of what Jesus is actually saying here. Maybe he's really meaning this. He says, hey, I don't condemn you at all. So when you think I don't condemn you, I don't condemn you. She couldn't walk away there. Well, I wonder if he really meant this in the Greek. No, there's one word. That's what it was. Same word. She walked away knowing she was not condemned. The Pharisees, the religious, those ready to stone her, did not condemn her in that moment. And Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the only one who gets to sit on the throne of heaven and judge, says, I don't judge you. I don't. I'm just not doing it. Over and over again. So, so we've created this Christianity. We've created this religion that has us like, okay, we come to salvation through a prayer. And we receive prayer. And then we got to live this life. And every time we sin, there's some kind of condemning con- conviction. Or there's, there's this condemnation on us. And we got to take and make another sacrifice and make God happy. I, you, I want you to know the story that there are so many verses. I want, you can read this on your own. So many verses where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. All judgment has been given to me. And I don't judge you. John chapter 3, verse 16. This is, the, this is the Christian verse, right? Go ahead, flip there real quick. John chapter 3, just a few pages away. Verse 16, this is Nicodemus coming to Jesus, asking questions. And this is what God, or Jesus says. For God so loved the world that he would give his only son that whoever perishes in him should not perish, or whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world he didn't send him to condemn but in order that the world might be saved through him whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the only the name of the only son of god and this is judgment light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed but whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in, in God. What I, w- I want you to understand there, Jesus says to Nicodemus, saying, hey, Nicodemus is a religious Pharisee. Like, he, is a, he gets it. Right? He gets the system. He's one of the high ups. And he sneaks off to Jesus in the night. He's like, Jesus, what do I got to do? And Jesus is like, this is what you got to do. For God loved the world enough that he sent his son, which Jesus is like, is me, into the world. Not that I would condemn you but to give you life, true life. And those who don't receive life, they have already condemned themselves. They have received darkness and have hung on to darkness. That is judgment. I want you to understand, you are a judgment-free zone. especially When you're in Christ, you are a judgment-free zone because now you are children of light. Make sense? You have received Christ and you have received salvation. 
This is the scandal of the gospel. This is, this is the thing that religious people like to fight over because we like our systems, we like our form, formulas, we like our judgment, don't we? And the gospel says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You are not condemned. And if you want judgment, stay outside of Christ. Don't receive him. You'll bring it on yourself. The judgment is your own darkness. Life is receiving him and walking in that. That's the gospel. Isn't that good? I was looking through all these 17 times that this word was used, and the only time that we see God doing any condemning is to those who reject Christ. Flat-out rejection of Jesus. They've brought on darkness. That's the only time. It's one time you see that, that word being used in that way. Every other time, it either tells us that we're not condemned. It's in that context of you knowing you're not condemned. Or it's speaking of people who are doing the condemning. It's people condemning other people, not God. Does that make sense? That's a big deal. We don't serve a God who sits on his throne as the great judge condemning us. We serve a God who sits on his throne giving life out freely, giving righteousness out to us. That's awesome. You are a judgment-free zone. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. If, you, if you're in Christ, if you've received Christ as your Savior, and you feel condemnation, if you feel condemned, if you feel like a failure, if you feel like God's like way over there and he's holy and he, he's in his thing and you are like on the highway to hell, but you've received Christ and you know you need his mercy, right? If that's you, I want to tell you it's either one of two things condemning you. It's yourself or someone else. It's not him. If you feel under condemnation, it is not the Father if you're in Christ. That makes sense. Some of you guys are wrestling with me in your hearts this morning. It sounds scandalous. It is. Romans chapter 8. Grace is so much bigger than we want to believe. Because we like our rules. We like the law. Don't we? Romans chapter 8. We're going to go ahead and start in verse 1. But like you really, you could, there's so much context before this. There's so much setting it up for me. I mean, Romans chapter 8 keeps popping up in this series for us. But this is what it says, verse 1, There is therefore now, presently, at this moment, writing to the Roman church, those who are believers, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous law, requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let me stop there because that is insane. He says, in Christ, you have no condemnation. And he sent Christ to us, right? He sent Christ to us to set us free from the law of sin and death. To set us free from condemnation. And Jesus, in the flesh, came. And what did he do? What did he condemn? He condemned sin. 
He condemned not you, the person, not you, the one who has lived a life with sin. He has condemned sin itself. In his body, in his flesh, he said, I step into your world, I take on your likeness, and I condemn you, sin. Not the sinner, not the person who has received Christ, but I condemn sin in my death. That's what that verse says it to us. Why? In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Mike, there you go. I'm setting you up for next week. One more. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He stepped into your condemnation and said, no, 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 no. I kill condemnation right now so that you can live a life of righteousness. I've set you free from sin. You're not condemned by sin. I'm condemning sin for you. Now you can live by the Spirit. My mind's blowing right now. I don't know about yours. This is not what I heard growing up in Sunday school. I'm just being honest with you. Right? This is not the gospel that I understood. Like, I'm going to bed at night thinking, did I tell a lie today about my sister? Let me go check. Okay, Jessica's still here. She hasn't been raptured. Her clothes aren't like laying on the floor because her body disappeared. Okay, let me sneak in. Mom and dad, they're still in bed. I know they're righteous. They're awesome. Um, So I'm safe for tonight. Jesus, please forgive me. I know I did something today. Like, that's the mindset that we grow up with in church. And Paul writes to the Roman church, there's no condemnation for you. You're in Christ. You're a judgment-free zone. You're not receiving any... The, God's not up in heaven with a lunk alarm. Like, they're groaning too much. Listen to them complain about their day at work. Listen to them gossip about their boss. Well, well, that's not how God is. God's not setting off some alarm in heaven. He doesn't have rules about you carrying water jugs around when you're thirsty. Like, God... God, God is not condemning you. That's not who he is. So you, therefore, your identity is not condemnation. You are a judgment-free, condemnation-free zone. Go to verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's a process here of what he's done. He's like, I'm picking you right there. See me. Know me. You know me, I've justified you. Nobody can find fault with you. And nobody can find fault with you, I'm glorifying you. The way I glorify the Father, the way the Father is glorification himself, I'm glorifying you in me. This is awesome. I could preach on that for a week right there, but we'll move on verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? He's building his case. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? He's like, this is a ridiculous question, isn't it? Who's going to bring a charge against God's people? Those who are in Christ, who's going to come at you? Who's going to throw condemnation at you? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Not only did he die, but he resurrected. He was resurrected for you. So if he died for you, was resurrected for you, who is going to condemn you? Christ Jesus, the one who died, and more than that was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Paul tells them Jesus has stepped in front completely of all your condemnation so that when condemnation comes at you, it hits 
Christ, it hits the cross, it hits his resurrection, it hits him sitting beside the Father and says, no, I'm interceding for you. There's no condemnation for them who are in Christ. There's no condemnation. There, you are that woman caught in adultery. Romans earlier tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all wandered off. We all deserve death. The wages of sin is death. This is Paul's story. He's telling them, you deserve to die. You're the woman in adultery. But because of Christ, you get out free. There's no condemnation. You, you get to live in him now. This is what the gospel is. If you want to understand the gospel, wrestle with Romans. Walk through it. Know who you were, know who you are. When we're talking about our identity in Christ, you might have been a lot of terrible things. You might have been and currently are in the midst of all this sin. But if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation on your life. You're a judgment-free zone. If your identity is in Christ, then you are not a place of condemnation. So I want to ask, why are our words to ourselves condemning? Why do we condemn ourselves? We, we've, we've been Christians. We've received Christ. We know that we need Him. We believe in Him as the Son. We've received His gift of salvation for us. We've received His sacrifice, and yet we drive in our car frustrated and mad at ourselves, feeling like a failure, a disappointment. We have nothing to offer. God's mad at me. God's angry. God doesn't love me. If this is the case, then why did this happen? Or, or why do I feel like this? Right? Let me tell you, your salvation and your lack of condemnation aren't something that you can prove. It's something you can believe. Like, this is an identity you have to believe because the Scripture says it, not because you feel it every day. And when you believe it, you'll eventually start to feel it. You'll start to know it, and you'll start to live it. I want to ask you, if this is the truth of the gospel for you, that you're not condemned, then why do our words condemn ourselves? And if you are not condemned, and you know your own junk, right? Like, I don't know your junk, you know your junk. And if you don't, you should. (laughs) You should know your own junk. If that's you, and you know you're not condemned in Christ, why not, not only do our words condemn ourselves, but why do our words so often condemn others? Sting. It's so bad. Why do our words condemn others? You guys still with me this morning? Still all right? James chapter 4. Let's turn there real quick. Probably our next series starting in uh, mid-June or early July, not sure yet. We're probably going to be walking through James because there's just so much here in the book to respond to when we know our identity in Christ then we can appropriately understand the book of James. Because James, if you don't know who you are in Christ, is difficult to wrestle with. It's weird. Like There's some weird things in there. I've literally heard close pastor friends of mine say, I wish I could just throw out James because I don't understand it. We're going to try to walk through it, so I'm excited about that. But we're going to give you a little little trailer, a little teaser of James. Uh, Spoiler alert. I said that terribly. Spoiler alert? Spoiler alert? Spoiler alert. Anyway, James chapter 4, verse 12. Actually, we'll start with verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. This is to the body of Christ. This is to church people. This is to Christians. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. 
For one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, there's a lot in this that I, I want to try to unpack real quickly. This passage says, hey, stop gossiping about your brothers. Stop putting judgment on them. And he says, if you do this, if you speak against your brother, you're speaking evil against the law and judging the law. What he's referring to is the Old Testament passages that tell you, stop gossiping. And if you gossip, you are looking at the law, the old law, the way you used to do things and saying, ah, forget the law. Forget what God's already told us about himself. Forget what he's already told us. He says, James says, hey, stop gossiping and condemning, putting judgment on your brothers in Christ. Stop it. It's not healthy. And when you do that, you're going back to the old system and condemning that thing. You don't need to do that anymore. And he ends with, who are you to judge your neighbor? Let me tell you what I'm not endorsing. I'm not endorsing those t-shirts or bumper stickers that say only God can judge me. Because what that does is it creates this mentality saying, I do whatever I want, and when I die, we'll work it all out. Like, don't, I don't care what you think. That's silly and foolish. Okay? There are places in the New Testament, which we're going to hit here in a second, where God says for brothers and sisters to come alongside each other and point out some things that are ugly. Right? Not in condemnation, but in love. Say, hey man... You kind of stink right now. Let me help you get a bath. <laughs> like that's, that's essentially what he's saying. He says, who are you to judge your neighbor? What, he's, not, he's not saying don't walk with a brother and sister. He's saying don't condemn. Don't hide in a corner with you and your little gossip friends and put condemnation on that person over there. Like they are somehow outside of God and you are in God, that they are somehow flawed and evil and bound for hell and somehow you and your little club are like righteous and holy. He says, because when you do that little holy huddle, you create something there that says, I don't understand grace. I don't understand the law. I don't understand God's promises. I don't understand how he works. You put your own sense of judgment on things. Does that make sense? You guys follow me this morning? So I was um, at that conference, and this guy who was there, I'm probably going to have him come and speak. He's just, so, just really good. He said this yesterday, which I found super profound, super true. He said, when you start doing the righteous thing without grace, you become judgmental. And when you become judgmental, you become a lonely Christian. What he said with that is when you start to try to become so self-righteous, like you know the law, you fulfill the law, and you forget grace has saved you because you were once the adulterous woman. When you become that person, you start walking around in judgment and condemnation, pointing out people's sins and issues. And when you begin to live that lifestyle as a Pharisee, as a law keeper, as a rule keeper, then what you do is you isolate yourself from the rest of the Christian world and it becomes a lonely place. We were not created for that. We were created to be judgment-free zones where we come together with brothers and, and, uh, brothers and sisters and build unity, build relationship, build family. There's a difference. I want you to know this. There's a difference between conviction of the Holy Spirit or of a good friend than there is condemnation from you or another person. 
there's a massive difference between condemnation and conviction. Okay? I am not saying your life shouldn't be convicted. You should be every day. You should be listening to the Lord to reveal things in your heart. And if you're not doing it, then I would say that you're not really seeking to become more like Christ. Every day I have to say, Father, reveal something in here that's not like you. I told my story last week of me to John and Mari Lee, because I still owe them an apology <laughs> for, for yelling at that construction worker with their son in my car, right? Like, that revealed a part of my heart that was still broken. That's conviction of the Holy Spirit and a few good friends. Right? That's good. James chapter 5. Flip there real quick. I'm wrapping up. Worship team, you can come forward if you want. James chapter 5. Let's read this. So the same James who says don't judge each other, right? Ends his book. James is like, James ends his book in the, like, the wildest fashion. He's like all over the place, it seems like. But they're actually connected. But he ends this book, verse 19. He says this. You guys following? You good? My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It is the responsibility of brothers to recognize when another brother is wandering from truth and to bring them back in. And when you do that, you cover sins. You cover a multitude of sinful life and you walk in grace. Like, there is no condemnation for you. You are a judgment-free zone. But we are all called to have brothers and sisters help us when we start to wander from truth. Hear my heart today. You are not condemned. The Father sits there and does not judge you. Jesus sits on his throne and does not judge you. He gives you the spirit of life. He gives you righteousness. He is those who he predestined. He's justified. Those who he's justified, he's glorified. That's who you are. That's your identity. But yet in the midst of that, you need a brother and a sister to pull out some areas that don't line up with your life in Christ. They're life of the flesh, not life of the spirit. You need that. That's good. Proverbs 27 says this, this is a, a, another translation, and I love this translation. A truly good friend will openly correct you. Verse 6, you can trust a friend who correct, corrects you, but kisses from an enemy are nothing but lies. Isn't that good? Your good friend, a true friend, will walk beside you, not in judgment, not in condemnation, and say, man, this is not Christ in you. What is this about? What's happening here? I see that this is a path to destruction. I see this is a path to walking in darkness. And I'm calling you back. This is not condemnation. This is not judgment. This is conviction. This is love. You want brothers to come beside you. The truth is we all want somebody to keep us accountable, right? We, we really do. And if you don't, then there's something massively flawed in your heart. There's some kind of pride or some kind of hurt or some kind of insecurity or something that doesn't understand its identity in Christ. If you don't want a father or a brother or a sister or a mother to come beside you and say, hey, this is, this is messed up. Like, so that's a heart thing if you don't want that. I'm just saying that. That's a free bonus for you right now. The truth is we want somebody to keep us in line. We want somebody to keep us accountable, to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh, to live out our full destiny, our full plans in the promises and the freedom of God. Christ came so that you could be free to live a life of righteousness, 
no longer bound by sin, no longer bound by shame or guilt. You need to know this morning when you leave here, you are not condemned. You are not condemned. You are called and promised eternal life in him. Let me give you an example real quick before we sing our song. I started off by talking about needing to get in shape, right? Um, I've been saying that since I got married. I got married. I was at the healthiest weight I ever was in college, and then I get married, and then I meet a wife who can cook great food, and we're happy, and she gets pregnant, and I eat everything with her at midnight. We had a pizza place across the street from our house, our first apartment, open all night. They were open for late night workers, so they would open at like 9 o'clock p.m. and be open till like 6 a.m. Well, midnight's happening. I'm getting a sub and a pizza because she's pregnant, right? And I got heartburn. She gets heartburn during pregnancy, and I keep it after pregnancy. It doesn't make sense. So what happens, though, is in that first year of marriage, I gained like 40-some pounds. And I wasn't pregnant. (laughs) But ever since then, ever since then, I've stayed in this, like, range, like 10, 15 pounds. And I just keep, I diet for a week, and I just, like, I eat one snack at a social at the church. It's the church's fault, really. And I just jump right off. I just jump right off the whole thing. But I was, actually, I was talking to Jared yesterday and uh, Aaron in, in, at their house in, in uh, Rochester, outside of Rochester, they have their, uh, a garage and they're turning it into an in-home gym where she can do personal training, right? That's, that's like, if you know Aaron, that's like her life. She loves that stuff. Like she could beat all of us up any day of the week. Like that's who she is. And I said to Jared, I said, it's funny. I said, when, when, when you guys lived here, Aaron would go to the gym every morning at 5 a.m. And I said in my mind, I said, hey, I'm going to start joining you. I'm going to meet you at the gym. And I started going to the gym at 530. You know, I, I wasn't getting up at five. Come on. I get to the gym at 530 and I did great for like three months when they were there. Why? Because I knew like we didn't even work out together. I just knew that she'd see if I was even there. And I did great during that time. And then I forget what happened. I don't know. But then I just did terrible, right? The truth is we all want somebody to kind of just keep an eye and say, boss, you're eating a lot of Doritos lately. Like, like you're hitting them cupcakes hard. What's happening? You're starting to get into gossip a little bit. What's, what's, what's going on in your heart? I see you having a lot of self-talk that's really the enemy. It's not Christ. I, I see you getting the same old habits. I remember that prophecy over your life that said that you're going to walk into this and, and walk in confidence and you're, you're going to do this in the Spirit. And I, and I don't see you doing anything close to that right now. What's happening? What's going on? Do you remember that word? Do you remember that encourage it, encouragement? You guys understand what I'm saying? Like we all have that. We need that. And I want to encourage you, if you don't have that, find that with somebody around you. Find that with somebody who gets the Gospels. Find that with somebody. You want that. You are not condemned. And you should not be leaving here condemning anybody. That is not the goal of the church to be spiritual police. What it is is to be a place where we link arms together and we grow together. And when one of us is bleeding out, I'm going to help bandage you up. Like That's the goal. You are not condemned. You are alive in Christ and we get to do this thing together. Would you stand? Let's worship for a few moments. He has condemned sin already. You are in him. You are not condemned. Let's worship for a few moments together.